0: Chapter Thirty-Two of Pee-wee Harris. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pee-wee Harris by Percy Keys FitzHugh. Chapter Thirty-Two, The Clue. Pee-wee never knew until now how much he cared about his little companion of the summer and how little he cared about their roadside enterprise except so far as she was concerned in it. All morning the almost continuous procession passed along the road reviewed by a gaping assemblage on the platform in front of the post-office. Many motorists, who read the enticing promises along the way, paused for refreshment, only to find the little rustic shelter bare and deserted, but they were not the only ones to be disappointed. Upon the front porch of doctor Killam's house there sat in a wheelchair the queerest little figure ever seen outside of a soup advertisement. He was of the cupy type, all head and eyes, and he had a kind of ridiculous air of stern authority about him as he sat bundled up in blankets soberly reviewing the passing cars. So odd and gnome-like was he that he might have stepped out of the pages of Alice in Wonderland. He would have made a good radiator ornament on an automobile. This, you will know, was little Whitey Bungle, who seemed not at all disconcerted at being elsewhere than in his own home. He had been moved out so much without any exertion on his own part that he was quite at home anywhere though Pee-wee had spoken in high hope to Pepsi about their unexpected and glowing prospects, he was haunted by the thoughts of the terrible thing which was to happen on the morrow. Pepsi was to be taken away, back to the big brick building which she hated, just as the planks of the old bridge had foretold. Pee-wee's loyalty was so staunch that he did not even consider the things his aunt had said, he was going to save pepsi from that place and make her the sharer of the fortune that was within their grasp he made this resolve with the same generous impulse as that which had caused him to put two hundred and fifty dollars within the reach of mr Bungo, who had boxed his ears i'm lucky he said to himself as he trudged down to the post office i'll fix things all right i'll show them i don't care i'll show them they won't take her back to that place not while i'm around he did not know how he was going to prevent this but he had unbounded faith in his capacity to fix things and in his good luck so as he trudged along stepping out of the way of many cars he came to the home of dr killam hello soldier piped up a little thin voice upon the porch i'm not a soldier said pee-wee "'My father can arrest people,' said the little gnome, looking straight ahead of him. "'That doesn't prove I'm a soldier,' said Pee-wee. "'You've got a uniform,' said the gnome. "'I'm not afraid of soldiers. My father's got a lot of money. He's got two hundred and fifty dollars, and I'm not going to get dead.' "'Where's your father?' Pee-wee asked. "'He's up on the road, and he's going to catch people and put them in jail.' "'Is he? Why do you say, is he? I didn't go to the hospital last night. Do you want to know why?' he asked, questions as if they were riddles. "'Yes. Why?' Pee-wee asked, half-interested. "'Because the bridge burned down. Do you like bridges?' "'It isn't a question of whether a person likes them or not,' Pee-Wee said, preoccupied with his own sorrow and worry, yet amused in spite of himself at this queer little fellow. "'Yes, it is,' said Whitey Bungle. "'All right, then, it is,' said Pee-Wee. "'Why did you say it wasn't? Oh, I don't know. I guess I was thinking of something else. What were you thinking of?' "'Oh, I don't know. Nothing.' why did you say you were you didn't tell me why you didn't go to the hospital last night i can see things that other folks can't see whitey announced you're like licorice stick said Pee-wee. he's black whitey said i know he is then how am i like him i'm white my name is whitey pee-wee felt like a prisoner at the bar of justice with his little personage swathed in blankets staring down at him his wrappings covered his neck and all that could be seen of him was his face perfectly motionless finally he said as if he were pronouncing sentence dr killam took me in his auto we had to turn around and come back when we came to the bridge burning down HE'S GOING TO TAKE ME ANOTHER WAY. I SAW A MAN GETTING DEAD. WHERE? PEE-WEE ASKED, HIS INTEREST SOMEWHAT AROUSED. WILL YOU GIVE ME THAT TIN THING IF I TELL YOU? THAT ISN'T A TIN THING. IT'S A COMPASS. IT TELLS YOU WHICH WAY TO GO. CAN IT TALK? NO, IT CAN'T TALK. THEN HOW CAN IT TELL YOU? IT POINTS ITS FINGER. You're crazy. All right, Pee-wee laughed in spite of himself. You tell me about the man getting dead, and I'll give you the tin thing. He was lying down in the bushes and wriggling. Where? Near the bridge? Pee-wee asked. Dr. Killam didn't see him, and he laughed at me. He said I was seeing things. Can you wriggle? I looked back out of the window and saw him. "'Did you tell your father about it?' Pee-wee asked, hardly knowing what to think of this information. "'My mother made him give her the two hundred and fifty dollars so I wouldn't get dead. Do you know what I'm going to be when I grow up?' No. what?' "'A giant.' "'Well, you'd better hurry up about it. Do you know where my father got that two hundred and fifty dollars?' "'Where?' IT WAS A PRIZE FOR CATCHING THIEVES. YOU CAN'T CATCH THIEVES. I KNOW IT, Pee-wee SAID. ARE YOU GOING TO BE A THIEF WHEN YOU GROW UP? NO, I GUESS NOT, SAID Pee-wee. YOU CAN HAVE THREE guesses. ALL RIGHT, I GUESS NOT THREE TIMES. NOW TELL ME IF YOU TOLD YOUR FATHER ABOUT SEEING THAT MAN GETTING DEAD yes and he said i'm always seeing things everybody says that maybe i'll get dead when it rains don't you believe it licorice stick's been telling you that didn't you say you were going to be a giant first you're not a giant alas pee-wee knew this all too well HE KNEW, TOO, THAT IT WOULD BE QUITE IMPOSSIBLE TO GET ANYTHING IN THE WAY OF A CONNECTED NARRATIVE OUT OF THIS STERN LITTLE autocrat, WHETHER HE HAD ACTUALLY BEEN SEEING THINGS, OR HAD SEEN SOMETHING IN HIS QUEER LITTLE INNER LIFE, WHO SHOULD SAY? EVIDENTLY NO ONE TOOK HIM VERY SERIOUSLY, AND THIS FACT DID NOT SEEM TO TROUBLE HIM AT ALL. Removing the compass cord from about his neck, Pee-wee advanced to proffer his second gift to the Bungle family. Little did that stiff, serious little figure know that the much-needed money which Mrs. Bungle had been wise enough to take from her husband had come from the same source. Pee-wee searched in vain for any sign of hands in those enveloping blankets. There were no hands, THERE SEEMED TO BE NO BODY EVEN, JUST TWO EYES LOOKING STRAIGHT AHEAD AS IF THEIR OWNER WERE NOT GOING TO ASSIST AT ALL IN A TRANSFER OF THE LITTLE GIFT. SO pee wee LAID THE COMPASS ON THE PORCH-RAIL. THERE YOU ARE, HE SAID. THAT NEEDLE ALWAYS POINTS TO THE NORTH. THE TWO SEVERE EYES STARED DOWN AT THE COMPASS ON THE RAIL, BUT THEIR OWNER MADE NO ATTEMPT TO REACH IT AS pee wee STARTED OFF. If Pee-wee had not been so worried and preoccupied, he would have thought that he had never seen anything so absurdly amusing in all his life. "'Come back and say good-bye,' the little voice commanded. Pee-wee returned and stood in the exact spot where he had stood before, and said good-bye. Although the little pale face did not turn the fraction of an inch, the staring eyes followed Pee-wee as he went along the road end of chapter 32 recording by keith salis